Step into HR success with AIM HR Solutions. As your trusted partner, we are here to empower you on your HR journey, whether your team is small, in transition, or simply seeking extra support. Introducing our dynamic contract HR services, designed to bring ease and efficiency to your operations. Imagine the peace of mind knowing you have a dedicated partner handling compliance, employee relations, and so much more. Let AIMHR Solutions be your guiding light toward HR success. Visit aimhrsolutions.com for more information. Welcome to Human Solutions, simplifying HR for people who love HR from AIMHR Solutions on True Story FM. I'm Pete Wright. Are you ready to revolutionize your organization's approach to workplace stress? Do you want to supercharge productivity, employee retention, and legal compliance? Then this is going to be a game-changing episode for you. Jen, the mindfulness maestro Moff, and Tom, the savvy employment lawyer Jones, are going to guide us through the HR labyrinth of stress management. So get ready to transform your workplace using your magnificent HR power and create a happier, healthier workplace for everyone. Jen, Tom, welcome back. It's so good to see you both. Likewise. I, uh, I'm really excited for this because we've talked about mindfulness a number of times. Jen, you and I have been on the show a number of times talking about mindfulness and reducing stress at the workplace and all the benefits therein. Mm-hmm. And now we have Tom, who uh, I, don't, I honestly don't know. I'm a little, I don't know what Tom's going to bring to this conversation because so far, whenever Tom's on a show, he's telling me what we can't do. <laughs> and I'm a little bit nervous uh, about uh, about Tom uh, performing the role of wet blanket on all of our efforts to that could happen. You are no wet blanket, Tom. I'm just gonna, <laughs> no I'm gonna boo blanket. you up right now, and like you're gonna come in and kill it in your share and all these wonderful tips. I just know it, and and I'm, I'm saying that mostly to convince myself because, <laughs> like Pete, the, the compliance side of thing I think is really valuable, but there's yes. you know it does have a preconception of being kind of this, you know, meh, meh, and I, I I think we can reframe that. I think we can reframe it, and I'm I'm really interested as part of that reframing is looking at not just what we are doing, but what we can do. What sort of opportunities exist that maybe we don't know how to look for, or we haven't been taught to look for from an HR perspective, the things we can do to make our workplaces better um, in the form of stress reduction. According to the American Psychiatric Association, 26% of people anticipated experiencing more stress at the start of 2023, up from 20% last year. So stress is really killing it. Let's talk about you guys and your relationship with with stress uh, at work. You you both seem pretty chill to me right now. Uh, Tom, do you want to take no, the Jen, lead here? You can go. You can go first. <laughs> Everyone's like, not I'll it, defer. not me. I know. <laughs> so for me, stress—it's—it's it's an interesting thing. Uh, a number of years ago, I—I I was taking kind of like a, a little assessment, and one of the questions about work in general was, "Do you find this thing energizing or exhausting?" And I just loved that little kind of litmus test or kind of checks and balance uh, question, because that's essentially what stress is. Stress can be energizing and it can be exhausting. And at at the end of the day, I think we all experience both. (laughs) There's things that like pressure wise, we can get really excited about. And I'm like, oh, I've got this project and I'm just like, can't we just sink my teeth into it? 
And then there's wow. other. <laughs> I think that's just me. <laughs> that's, wow. Business Jen just showed up and she's a little scary. <laughs> I'm a Capricorn. What can I say? <laughs> right. Um, but then on the flip side, there's there's times where I'm just like. Just sitting here, open mouthed, yeah. wide eyed, like. I need like a month off. I need, I need to run far away and yeah. never like rear my head up again. I just need to get away. Well, I feel like that's also what's buried in the statistic. Like, I wonder how many of those people, if you were to ask them, what is it about stress at work that is, is causing you to anticipate having more stress this year than last? Mm. I wonder how many of those people would be able to define it clearly. Good question. Yeah. Right. It is a thing that 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 it, it because it's it's a, a representation of how we feel. It's extraordinarily difficult sometimes to put mm -hmm. words to why it exists for us. Tom, you were going to say. You know what it feels like? You know how when you go to the doctor for physical and they say, you know, your blood pressure and uh, all those things. And one of the things they'll ask you is, are you feeling pain? Mm -hmm. And in some ways, it's completely subjective. You know, okay, are you feeling pain? Well, what's the scale? One to 10. How do I measure it? What's yeah. my seven versus your seven versus Gen seven? Mm -hmm. No idea. It really yeah. is very subjective, the standard. So I think stress could be about having to go back to work. Physically, where people have been working from home, it could be about some change in the work demands because of things like that, that you've, you've sort of built up in your head saying, this is really creating stress for me. It's hard to say mm -hmm. what's going to be the driving force. One of the things that we're seeing over on the L&D side of the house here at AMHR is a lot bigger influx of requests for in-person training sessions. And we're also noticing when I've spoken to some of these clients, just, just in relationship building, there's this leveraging of training as a reason to get together for the very first time since the pandemic. And there's a lot of pressure being put on these first time experiences to have them fulfill all of these needs that we've not been able to provide for during the pandemic because of social distancing and remote work and hybridization of work. And so the, the intrinsic pressure that an individual applies to what a scenario or a circumstance can be on the other side of this pandemic, like, oh, we're we're back to normal, but now we, we've got to make up for lost time. We've got, to, you know, all these things that we place on a situation. It's really interesting that the subject and substance of training and development efforts are secondary to the act of getting humans together again. Mm -hmm. I was thinking, too, of different things at work that could cause stress. You know, you think of things like um, change to my work schedule, deadlines. You know, just an uncomfortable work relationship. You have a conflict with somebody. It could be bullying. It could just be you don't get along. And you've been assigned to a team with that person. So that could cause stress. You know, it could be layoffs, rifts. could be just rumors about layoffs or rifts going on in the workplace or some sort of change. Anything, you know, harassment, your family relationships. There's tons of stuff. And so the real nuts and bolts are getting some people to open up about that. That's the tough part. And share that information. Because if Jen's my boss and I won't tell her what's driving me crazy, she's left to guess. And there's an excellent chance she'll guess wrong because I'm holding back information, you know, making it hard for her to do her job. Are there any statistics that that exist? And I recognize I'm dancing on 
the line of privacy. Uh, but the are there any statistics that exist that define how many people experience stress at work because of work stress versus how many people experience stress at work because they're bringing personal stress from home to the office? Do we know anything about that? And what's your what's your sense of how those things kind of meet out? I I don't. I mean, I think mental health professionals might be able to give you a sense of that based on their their uh, patient inflow you know who's coming in and what the what's driving it but i suspect much of it's anecdotal to, I, I would uh, agree with tom on the anecdotal side of things it'd be interesting to see if there is data out there on that um some of the things that i could share related to it is so i have a, a sister who works in the mental health field specifically as an addiction specialist and she once shared with me that once problems like that show up at work, that's kind of like the final frontier. That's the last place they start to show up. And that's because it's gotten to a point where every other area of their life has been infiltrated by the addiction. And so that stress, you know, shows up at work and maybe we don't even know how long it's been going on. I share all that to say the old belief that we kind of compartmentalize our lives and we check our personal life at the door. And we, when we're here, we're fully present at work and we don't talk about anything else other than work. That's not biologically possible. <laughs> so the stress that we have outside of work, it's, it's coming with us, whether we consciously choose to bring it or not. Um, we might try our best to keep it at bay, but it's there in how we show up and do any part of our jobs and vice versa. We bring the stress home, too. I don't know when it's necessarily going to be appropriate to answer this particular question. I think we need to get get Tom to start weighing in pretty quickly on the uh, what we what we can and can't do, sort of the legal implications of stress uh, management in the workplace, specifically around, as I teased a second ago, privacy and what we can and can't ask and learn about our teams. But I do want to make sure we kind of hang a flag on this idea of organizations that have in their identity, in their worldview, that work and home are are still completely separate because I know they exist, right? And I know that it, it feels at this point like saying that's a, a bit of an archaic worldview of, of, uh, of employees, um, but I know it's still out there. And so I wanna make sure that you two have an opportunity to address that point. Uh, Tom, Let's let's dig in. I mean, Where's the point, line? I think your point about privacy is an excellent one, Pete. I mean, so if you look at Massachusetts, we have a state law that says privacy. I'll read the entire law to you. A person shall have a right against unreasonable, substantial, or serious interference with his privacy. That's it. So all those terms that have to be defined, and they end up being defined in court or between an HR and an employee to figure out how much can the employee or ask from an HR point of view? How much can the employee be compelled to disclose because of their need to let the company figure out what to do to manage the job? So it's a real struggle. And it's trying, so privacy law is self-enforced, basically. You have to, I have to take the employer to court. I have to prove that that's an invasion of privacy. And then the company can say, well, no, 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 it's not an invasion of privacy because we needed to know that information in order to make it safe for you to work here, in order for it to you know, get you to do your job, to find the necessary technology to help you out, whatever it might be. And so that's sort of the battle that companies end up fighting 
And a lot of times companies can win it because they have a justifiable reason from a business point of view to ask for that information. But obviously you can't dig too deeply into people's lives. You know, if someone's getting divorced, you're not going to be getting involved as to why they got divorced. You'll be dealing with maybe with the issue of they are being divorced at work, but not all the nuts and bolts of it. And so companies have to draw a bright line themselves so they don't go too deep into, you know, someone's personal life. They have to try and that's an, that's a hard exercise because, you know, why do I need to know so much about what Jen's life is? I don't necessarily. I just need to know enough to know that she can do her job safely, comfortably, and all that. But that's open communication between us. Because if she doesn't want to, if we, if she won't talk or I don't ask, then sort of shame on me and makes life much harder for her. So privacy was a challenge, a huge challenge. Uh, yeah, it sounds like it. What are, are there any uh, considerations when an employee comes to you as an HR pro and says, you know, I'm totally overwhelmed and now I'm going to unburden myself on you? What if if an employee uh, comes to you and tells you stuff that is otherwise you you wouldn't need to know, but because of the nature of their stress and overwhelm, they are feeling vulnerable to the point of needing to share it with you? Are there are there lines that you should you know, hold up and say, I, I can't know this stuff about you. Uh, Tom, is there a line there? Tom, I need I need to know. I'm like the proverbial bartender my entire life. People, <laughs> you know, I've got that face. People want to yeah. share. Tell me. <laughs> I mean, a real face for bartending. I have never heard that. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's, it's well said. I know it. Sometimes you can just put up your hand and say, this is too, too much information for me to know. Maybe you need to see uh, if you have an employee assistance program, we can refer you to that EAP. If you have through your health insurance plan, someone we can refer you there because this has become too much knowledge for me to have it work. That said, a lot of HR folks get dumped on them that information before they can put their hands up. Yeah. All mm -hmm. of a sudden now they know that so and so is, you know, divorced or so and so is in financial trouble or so and so is dealing with something that they had you know had no idea was going on. So you and want it to try seems and like, like you just said financial trouble, right? That suddenly, doesn't that open a door to responsibility for the HR person to know about, particularly if that person has any any sort of position of financial authority at the organization? Yes, it could. It Seems could. And then, it, you, then you're trying to figure that balancing. Yeah. So if an employee comes to me as the HR person and says, you know, we're, we're going to lose the house or because I'm, you know, I'm going to have to declare bankruptcy or something like that. And which is maybe to Jen's point, that's when the things come to come to a head. You know, some crisis has occurred. That could, because if I'm the bookkeeper or I'm accounts payable, accounts receivable, then you may want to know that and see if there's a way to ease the person out of work for a little while to give them a break. You know, some many states have paid leave laws. So that might be a way that you could get the person out of the workplace for a period of time, give them some income and get them away from the stress that's they're dealing with right now, but that's not a permanent solution by any stretch. So it may be the person can't continue in that job if you're fearful of that person, you know, embezzling from the company or just not paying attention, not even maliciously, but just not doing their job properly because they're so focused on this other issue. I remember hearing a story about how a certain population, probably within the HR field management, something like that. Um, there was a, a wave of people saying, I need a break. I need to I need to go on vacation. I need to quit, whatever it is. And the 
other party was surprised to hear this. And when they did some investigatory work, they discovered that they were the empathetic employee that everyone came to to unburden themselves. And so they had been carrying all of everyone's stress uh, for you know, how, however long. And so then they were the one that was like, it, it's affecting me. And now what do I do? It seems like it puts the, that employee in an uh, incredibly difficult position. Can be. Uh, you know, and I think that's the, that's the line I'm, I'm curious about is like, what's the line where you know too much that you now have a responsibility to the organization from an HR perspective? I mean, I think every company's culture is different yeah. in terms of what to- sort of tolerance they'll have for that. Um, so it's, it's learning what the culture is in your workplace. That said, you know, if you have a culture where people dump every bit of information on one employee, that suggests they need to have an employee assistance program. But that one employee is going to go nuts. Well, you're going to lose a good employee because That's good he, to know. he or she's going to quit, right? With all that information, they're going to quit and just overwhelm and say, I can't work here. This is, there's no support for me mm-hmm. as an employee because I'm getting all this information, but there's nowhere for me to go. Yeah. So that's one remedy. But I think it's a hard line to draw, Pete. You're struggling with it because I think it's one of the biggest issues at companies. You know, wh- where do you find that? Where do you find that point? Yeah. Honestly, I expected, frankly, your response to help me and you've made it muddier. So <laughs> I don't know what to do. Right. Because, <laughs> because there is there is this like like you you want from from HR. We've got, you know, we have processes and we want to be able to tell our HR teams when to hold up their hands and say, go to EAP. But as you say, this dance between privacy and invasion of privacy is is so fuzzy. So I'm not yeah. sure if if I'm an HR person listening to the show, I don't know that I yet understand what to do 8 a.m. Monday morning. Well, I think part of it is really trying to take a serious evaluation and look at what's our culture like as a company. Mm-hmm. How much do we want to be involved in our employees? You know, what can we do? Once we hear that information, what can yeah. we give people time off? Can we give people other support within the organization? What can we change them to a less stressful position? Can we do something, you know? But that said, so if I move you from position A to B, are you now going to feel like you've been demoted? Right. Are you now going to feel demeaned in the workplace? And if you are, all of a sudden you're going to say, well, it's worse. My situation's worse. I'm, I used to make this much money. Now I make less money. My problems are getting worse. You know, I, it's making everything more serious of a problem. So part of it's knowing your culture. Part of it's knowing, I think, the resources you have available to help those folks and then consistently applying them so that, you know, well, consistently, no, in the case by case, you know, Jen's case will be different than my case, will be different than no. your case, Pete. And so it'll be able to say, what's our menu of, re- of yeah. resources that we can use to protect our employees? It, it seems to me like the, the road we're going down here is, you know, all the examples we've talked about so far are reactive. Right. Uh-huh. Like somebody comes to you and is dumping all this stuff on you and suddenly you have to react. But the alternative is being proactive about the resources we put into place before an empl- a particular employee runs into a stressful situation. So uh, uh, let's let's talk about what it means to be proactive in terms of stress management in the workplace. Um, where would you like to start where, going down the road of reasonable accommodations? Um, well, Certainly, again, well, partly you've got to have the employee come to you because any reasonable accommodation request, you can't just presume you know what they what's going on with them. They come to you and say, 
Excuse me, I'm experiencing X, Y, Z, whatever it is. And then it's a conversation about what that might be and how may that affect work. So now we do a reasonable accommodation. But that's, again, reactive. I mean, I would think something like putting an employee assistance program in place is proactive. Yeah, okay. We've got a resource here, or maybe it's bringing um, outside professionals or making them available to help employees to come in and maybe do training, awareness training. Maybe it's, you know, for lack of a better term, sort of wellness awareness training, whatever it might be, but some, some term so that people feel like, okay, the company is trying to do something to help alleviate this stress. But I don't, know, I don't know if, Jen, you know if there's some stress test for a company that they can say, is it high turnover, lack of retention, lack of the ability to hire? Is it? Yeah. So I've, I've been very transparent on this podcast and other episodes that I've been somebody that has navigated uh, depression and anxiety for my entire adult life. And um, for those of you listening who don't know, when you go to the doctor to get help for those things, they have a, a, a worksheet that you fill out that basically asks you to indicate um, of this list of items, which have you experienced in the last month that are very large stressors? And the more that you have and the more significant they are, the more that's indicative of uh, a proper diagnosis of, of depression or anxiety or whatnot. And so I imagine a similar type tool would exist or could exist for a company. What are major stressors a company experiences? Um, acquisitions, buyouts, um, you know, threats in the marketplace, uh, just lots of different things that can create challenges, um, overt or covert. And the more that happen, the more likelihood of stress for the individual and the company as a whole, uncertainty. So, that that would be my first answer as far as the you know is there is there a stress test for companies? Um, I'm sure there's other resources out there that are you know far more targeted as well. It, going back to the culture though, it really is about making it a lifeblood of of the company. If a company says that they value the mental health of the employees, if they want them to be operating on peak performance and they really believe that, they're going to have things in place ahead of time, part of compensation packages, part of activities and events that are for um, a pleasure and as well as development that are done regardless of what else is going on. It's to establish a baseline of this is what we believe, this is where we stand, this is demonstrated through behavior. Um, and that's because they value the uh, wellness and the well-being of their their team members, their workforce, and it has to show up through behavior. Values show up through behavior. If we say we value something but there's no behavior attached we merely appreciate whatever it is. Excellent point. Yeah, it, I mean that is that's the that's the proactive stuff, right? That that to me feels like something that we can that that we can really sink our teeth into. This whole concept of of being able to say at at the time of recruiting, mm -hmm. we recognize that as human organisms, we are complex and we don't know where the stresses are going to come from from any given day or any given reaction in the market or right now there are there you know across the tech sector there is a pervasive fear of layoff because we have experiences of layoff that are mm -hmm. non-trivial that stress for the people who who remain 
after a layoff. The the sort of survivor's guilt, for, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term, right now is not uh, it, that's that's not unreal. <laughs> that is a legitimate and being able to sell that we have resources to help you do that. I, I have to imagine are benefits at the time of recruitment that help people realize this is the kind of company I'm considering joining. Yes. Is that a measured uh, benefit at all? Do people come to organizations for those kinds of EAP benefits? What we're seeing on the learning and development side is we develop trainings um, specifically about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. We're looking at generational desires and patterns of behavior over time, not specifically rigid around uh, birth years, but just noticing patterns and patterns and trends. And that desire, for lack of a better word, is increasing over time. The population continues to want and seek more and more holistic type job experiences, career experiences, where they're not a cog in a machine that maybe once was an an appropriate way to look at oneself as a part of of a career path. But realistically recognizing that, you know, if the 24 hours we have is split into thirds, a third is sleep, a third is work, and the other third goes to, you know, self-care, family, relationships, activities, fun, you know, all those things. Why would we not want to intentionally um, set us, set ourselves up for success and spend the time and the energy giving to an organization without feeling like the the balance of receiving is is not aligned is what we're what we're seeing. Uh, making use of an EAP program or EAP benefits uh, is a, um, a, a sign of weakness. That is a feels uh-huh. like a, 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 a challenge to those who want who strive for peak performance. That why should I need these sorts of benefits uh, at work? Because I have it all together. And that's the that's the show I'm I'm putting on. And that's what people think of me. Therefore, using these benefits are a sign of weakness, even in times of stress. That is a position I'm I'm seeking a rebuttal. Uh. <laughs> no, I think you're absolutely right. But again, this that does not have to be shared with everybody. I mean, so if HR knows, HR shouldn't even know, they might know globally how many people are going to EAP, like 20 people did this month or something, but they don't have to know what I'm going to the EAP for, how frequently I'm going. It might be a one-time event. It might be ongoing treatment. But they don't need to know that unless it's somehow going to directly impact work. You know, the resource, I always tell companies when they call on the hotline, you know, if you have information about EAPs or something, a good place to put it might be in the bathroom. Because that way people can take the information without everyone having to see them stand at the bulletin board and take a picture or write down the phone number. And so they can do it confidentially and call, you know, whoever they need to for the services they're going to get. But I also tell HR folks, Always check, call the HR, call the EAP phone number yourself. See what you get. See how good they are. Because a lot of companies will say, well, we have this EAP, and it may not be all that good. It might just be an 800 number, refers people around, or it might be an extraordinarily developed menu of services that can really tap into what people's needs are. I'm, I'm going to disagree with you, Pete, on your, your previous ahead, statement. Um, I don't necessarily... So <laughs> what a relief. <laughs> <laughs> Wipe sweat off oh. the brow. 
um, I don't necessarily believe in, in weaknesses or strengths or failures or successes because that also creates judgment and that doesn't really help me in, in life. I found, um, you know, there's lessons and there's experiences and that that's kind of the guideposts that I live off of. So when I think about leveraging resources like an EAP or therapeutics or whatnot, um, I don't pretend to be an expert on every last thing in the world. I don't think that I'm better than anyone else. I think that there's things that I could constantly be learning and doing to evolve. And why would I let my ego get in the way of my own best interest if I can, you know, help it? Uh, not to go back to the generational thing, but I'm going to go back to the generational thing. <laughs> um, I, I, again, we've talked, I think, briefly um, uh, about social media platforms. And on TikTok, it's very common to see um, a wave of populations um, more in uh probably the, the, the 20-year-olds that I'm noticing, it's very common to talk about going to therapy there. It's very common to talk about doing um, the work on yourself, very common to talk about asking for help and getting help. And it's not seen as a sign of weakness or something's wrong with you. In fact, it's being flipped on its head and saying, um, when people are meeting new people, oh, you, you're not you know, self-aware? I think I'm going to steer clear of a relationship with, with this person. Um, so it's interesting how things are, you know, shifting gears to use the old um, manual transmission metaphor. I, I think it's a good time as we get toward wrapping up to go back and, and offer the opportunity for another rebuttal, hopefully, uh, and, and circle back to that point I was making earlier about organizations that are, are have, that are still looking to draw a, 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 a more of a solid line between work and and home, and I'm I'm interested in both. You know, what are the employee uh, challenges in an environment like that, and from an HR perspective, what can and can't they do, and what are the uh, what are the potential impacts on that? Who would like to go first? From my perspective, as as a manager, as an elder millennial, as someone who works in the HR field, I, I recognize the dance and I also recognize the stigma that HR tends to have with employees. And so there there is a belief that the company really doesn't care. And why they're drawing that line is because they're just there to protect the company. And while there may be some truth to that, there's also truth that if the company doesn't exist, the job for this person doesn't exist. So they are looking out for the individual as well, um, in, indirectly, as it were. And so when a company needs to make a decision and employ some sort of policy, it's not for lack of caring on the company's part about the individuals. And I think we through the lens of things like this podcast, uh, have an opportunity to to continue educating the public about what HR is here to do and what they can do and why in the bigger picture. I mean, and I think if you, you keep drawing that bright line between sort of the personal and the public and say, well, he's, you know, the person is your, your responsibility, individual employee, and we as a company are paying you for work and that's all we want from you. I think that it couldn't work. Obviously, it does work for a period of time. But again, what you end up having oftentimes is disgruntled employees, unhappy workforces, people who high turnover, 
people who, if they don't quit, they stay at work and quit, which is sort of even worse. But, you know, a person does the minimum to survive in the workplace, uh, sure. doesn't do a good job. And I think it harms the company's bottom line. And I think ultimately that comes back to haunt companies because people will talk about, be it on social media, be it amongst their friends, you know, um, not recommending people to come work there, whatever it might be. And so, I mean, can it be done? The answer is yet. When you could look around at hundreds of companies that have survived. Uh-huh. based upon that model of right. bright line between work and private life. But I think there's a legacy cost to that. And it's in terms of all the different factors of stress we've been talking about. And it's lawsuits. I mean, you begin to wonder how many times people would sue a company or how many times would they complain to other coworkers about it. And so it's always going to be a miserable environment. People are going to, HR folks are going to be ha- unhappy. Employees are going to be unhappy. One additional thing that you just made me think of, Tom, if if companies want to go that route, again, totally their choice. There's nothing wrong or right about this. Again, I'm taking judgment off the table. What I would encourage them to do is be 100% committed to it. If that is who you are and that is who you want to be, own it fully and communicate it in every possible area that makes sense so that when you are attracting talent, you are attracting people that believe that too. And it'll be a and better And their eyes fit. are wide open. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's the key thing there. Good point. Thank you uh, uh, both for uh, sharing your insights there. This was a this was a, a solid and useful conversation. I think, particularly Tom, bringing the the legal and compliance perspective to mm-hmm. what we can and and should do at work is is super useful. Um, uh, Jen Moff, Tom Jones, you're the best. Thanks for being here. And uh, as always, thank you, everybody, downloading and listening to this show. We appreciate your time and your attention. As always, you can find the links and notes about the show at amhrsolutions.com. You can also listen to the show right there on the website or subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere finer podcasts are served. And if you are listening in one of those apps, just scroll up. You'll see all the show notes here. And I put a bunch of links in there, too, for more information. Uh, On behalf of Tom and Jen, I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next time right here on Human Solutions, simplifying HR for people who love HR.